Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone. There are a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings when it comes to running and pregnancy. From the time a woman finds out she's pregnant to the postpartum period and beyond, her body goes through an intense array of changes, and there is both limited and conflicting information about what activities are appropriate for her and when. It's only been the past few years, really, that recommendations have evolved from being either too restrictive during pregnancy to the exact opposite, six weeks postpartum. My guest this week is a Georgia-based physical therapist specializing in pregnant and postpartum athletes who is tackling this information and support gap head-on. A mum and runner themselves, they are the co-founder of the fitness app Stirrups to Sit-Ups, which is a great name, and aims to help new mums heal in the right way without having to navigate the minefield of internet advice as they try to figure out how their running will be affected by pregnancy and childbirth. I'm really excited to to talk to them and to give a platform to this incredible initiative um, and dive into um, how it's come to fruition um, and also some practical advice for for pregnant and new mums out there. So welcome to the podcast. I'll let them Thank know. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So um, my name is Rachel. I am a physical therapist. I started in sports medicine, orthopedic world, kind of, I think, the traditional physical therapy root and then ended up in more of a pelvic health specialty after having kids of my own and navigating what sounds like a lot of your listeners have been navigating, which is just that very confusing area of exercise and pregnancy and postpartum. And so ended up specializing in that out of my own frustration um, from the experience that I had. And then very organically, it just turned into there's a lot more people looking for this than you ever kind of realized. So you think, man, this is like a really small niche market. And then you realize it's not at all. There's so many women out there who have questions and want to know what the right thing to do and when the right time to do it and how to do this the right way. And so it's honestly been such an honor to be able to be part of kind of the platform that starts to get that out there. So thank you for having me. No problem at all. And as you mentioned that you're a mum yourself, Rachel, is it two small boys that you have? Two little boys, two and five. So we're um, a little bit in the weeds right now, but they're, they're fun weeds. <laughs> <laughs> and what have you learned about yourself, both personally and as an athlete through motherhood, would you say, so far? <laughs> That's a great question. I think that probably changes every single day. Um, I have just learned, I think, that 
moms are looking for the right information. And again, as someone who was out there as a professional, I was a physical therapist when I had my first, I kind of thought, you know, I would be able to navigate that. Like it's a very confusing and like you said, conflicting world of internet advice. And so when I couldn't do that, I realized as a mom, like I have so much on my plate, like suddenly now it's not just me and my training and what I want to do on a regular basis. It's I've got to, you know, raise a good human and like obviously try to invest in them and make sure that my time is spent well with them and not like trying to navigate the pits and the depths of like research that even at that time didn't even exist, but now does. And so now there's more out there, but moms do not have time to try and figure out what's good information and what's not. And so I think as a mom, one of the biggest things for me has been learning how to be efficient with my time. And I think for what I do now, I hope that this kind of mission makes it better for other moms who don't have the time to get into it and let, you know, people like me do that. And then let me get you the information that's actually important and actually makes sense for you and for your body. That way you can spend your time doing other things and really focusing on the mental wellness that comes with physical wellness as well. And you speak there about balance and time investment. Do you think new mothers or did you yourself kind of have those perhaps feelings of guilt around where you were spending time and even starting to think about getting into running. Should I even be spending time thinking about that when I've got this baby that's dependent on me? A hundred percent. That is something that I still navigate, I think on a daily basis. Um, I will always have that underlying mom guilt of like, Hey, if I didn't do this run, I could have spent, you know, an extra hour with my kids. But what I really have learned is when I'm able to run and I'm able to, I mean, just like your podcast is just the joy of running. If I go on a one hour run, the 23 hours that are left in my day are so much better. I'm able to give back more to my kids. I also love that my kids know when they see me putting on my like tennis shoes, they know I'm going on a run and they, I love that. I want them to know that mom has other hobbies. I don't want them to ever feel like I am leaning on them to keep me happy and keep me entertained and to live up to expectations that they might not be able to live up to because they're human and they're kids. And so me having other hobbies, I think is good for them. And so when I get out and can support myself in that way, I can invest that back in them. And I know with moms navigating how to return to running or getting back to running and realizing, man, this doesn't feel the way that it used to, or now I have symptoms that I haven't had before. When you take away running, it's not just taking away running. There's a lot that comes with that. And so if I'm not able to run, it's not just, oh, I couldn't go on my run today. It's okay. Well, now my mental health is suffering just a little bit. I don't feel like I got my outlet. I'm going to kind of like be stressed in other areas of my life. And so helping moms get, again, back to that physical wellness is incredibly important to be able to let them invest that back in their kids. The further I've gotten into motherhood, the more I'm able to embrace that, but it doesn't mean it's easy. It's still an everyday thing. I went on a run this morning and I couldn't have gone on a run this morning if I didn't take my kids into daycare early, but I did. I took them into daycare early. They love their daycare. Um, and I went on a run and I wouldn't have done that if I didn't take them in, but I am a better mom for the rest of the day because I do that for myself. And so I try to look at it that way, but it is still an everyday battle for sure. That's such an important message. Cause I think people can just see running as something that it's, it's a practical thing, but it's actually modeling really important emotional boundaries to children and also 
to yourself (laughs) you let that slip and then you're not actually setting them up for being able to you know partition out time for their own self-care and then as you say we show up better for ourselves for our families and for the people around us if we're if we're able to do that don't we exactly and with your with your running journey where did that start for you the realization that this was something that isn't was important to to your mental and physical health I think that I look back now. So I played soccer my whole life. Um, We call it soccer here. I know it's not soccer there, but we say soccer here. (laughs) So I played soccer my whole life. And I honestly look back and this wasn't, you know, my coach's fault or any of my teammates fault or anything, but running was a punishment. And that's how it is in a lot of sports, right? Like you lose a game or you play poorly um, and you run and that's punishment. And so for a very long time, I looked at running as punishment. And so when I stopped playing soccer, when I wasn't being continuously coached and prodded to do these types of runs, I stopped for a really long time. Um, I didn't run at all. I actually got pretty into like lifting weights. And I think there's this huge, you know, you either lift weights or you run. There's like runners love to run and people who like to lift weights like to lift weights. And there's not a lot of crossover between the two, um, which is a whole different soapbox for a different day. But I got really into weightlifting, wasn't doing tons of running and just, again, had kind of lost the joy associated with that because it was in my head, something that you only did if you had done something poorly previously. And so it wasn't until honestly recently where I feel like I started to kind of reclaim what it actually meant to be able to go on a run. Um, It started probably a year or so after I had my second. So like I didn't, run a whole lot during pregnancy with my first because I was given really poor advice on running with pregnancy. I ran shortly after having my first and ended up with a lot of symptoms because again, I didn't have someone to guide me through that process. And the advice that I got was really poor. And so when I was going on runs, they didn't feel good. And so it wasn't those runs where you come back and you got this runner's high and you're inclined to go run again the next day. They weren't fun. It was like, I, again, was kind of doing them for punishment. I was like trying to, you know, the whole get your body back and get back to being yourself. And that pressure is intense. And so I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And so after I had my second, where I did specialize in this, it was a completely different experience because I knew how to run during pregnancy or choose not to run during parts of pregnancy, depending on the day, depending on my symptoms. And so after I had him and I was able to really recover the right way because I knew better what to do, those first couple runs weren't miserable and they weren't punishment. It was like, okay, I'm going to go for 20, 30 minutes and have 20, 30 minutes where all I'm thinking about is my run. Like I just am not thinking about everything else that's going on, all of the mental load of your family and your work and all of this. It's for the next 20 to 30 minutes, all I'm going to think about is this run And that was really rewarding. And so that I think was one of the first times that I was like, man, this, the running is is, again, is so much more than physical. At that point, it wasn't me like trying to get my body back. It wasn't me like trying to punish myself um, for changes that had happened in my body or things that I had done poorly. It was just like, hey, this is my time for myself and my time to be able to reflect. And so when that kind of mindset shifted with it is when I started to realize like, this is joyful. Like I enjoy doing this, you know what I mean? And so it kind of slowly grew from there. I think that's why even now I love trail running better than road running because on a trail, sometimes on a road, you can zone out, which is not a bad thing at all. 
But on trail, you can't. You can't zone out and think about anything else. You've got to think about where your feet are on that trail, the entire trail, because you will bust it if you're not paying attention. Your brain has, yep, your brain has no time to go anywhere else. You know what I mean? And so that to me is such a challenge because usually my brain is already kind of on the next thing. What am I going to do after this run? What am I going to cook for dinner tonight? What do I have going on patient-wise tomorrow? And so the joy in running is so much bigger than just I'm on a run and this is my pace and this is what I'm doing. It is that mental clarity of like, here is time where I cannot think about anything else, but in this moment. And that is a totally different skill. And I think when I started embracing that skill is when I started to fall back in love with running, but it's been a very long journey to get there. I'm not this runner who has always loved running and just has continued to grow and grow and grow. I've had huge ups and downs with running where I didn't go on a purposeful run for years at a time because I had the completely wrong mindset. Every run needed to be hard. I needed to end it giving everything I've got. And now so many of my runs, I finish them and I'm like, I could go on another run. Like I feel great. I feel fine. And I think when you can shift that mindset on it, especially when you have so much of a mental load going on at home, that's where you start to actually kind of embrace that again and think this is a totally different journey than what it was when I used this as punishment or when I was trying to, you know, make myself aesthetically look different. It's it's not about that. And if you do that, it's just not sustainable. So I feel like that has changed so much for me just in the past year. Um, one, because I'm symptom free, which is what I want all moms to be able to be when they go on those runs, because that is such an important clarity time to step away from the house, step away from the kids and just say, this is my time for myself. And I'm not going to think about anything else, but it's a challenge. Mm, and there's so much there around ownership, which is generic also to the language that we use around women's bodies. And you were speaking there really eloquently about that perception of what exercise a woman does or how she does it and the purpose of that and actually the purpose should be for you and for that space that that exercise whatever it is whether it be running or something else that that then gives to you rather than oh she's not running and therefore kind of an in inverted commas sort of let yourself go after pregnancy or if you are then oh you're doing it to get that body back and that just shouldn't be the case that we've got this kind of binary narrative going around that actually takes away all the agency that a woman has over her life choices and and her body and I guess that a lot of what you're doing with the app as well is actually giving women that agency um, and that language and and that guidance that then allows them to do something that feels autonomous and not part of kind of like this wider media or social media kind of narrative that goes around that, I guess. Absolutely. And I think too, I talk to so many moms now and that bounce back culture is such a big thing. It's, you know, get back as quickly as possible. And we all, you know, you look at a mom who just had a baby and what's the first thing you say? Like, oh my gosh, you don't even look like you had a baby. Your body is different. Like my body is different. And I know that people would look at my body now and be like, man, you know, you look great, whatever. But like my body's different. It's different than it used to be. And that is perfectly fine. That is okay. I have a different body, this body built and birthed two children. And I have to know that there's things about it that are going to be different. It doesn't mean I can't be stronger. It doesn't mean I can't be faster. It doesn't mean that I can't, again, find the joy and embrace the joy in exercise and running in general. But my body is different and that is okay. And kind of, again, embracing that narrative of like, 
that is fine. Like me being different is fine. I am a mom. That is a different person than I used to be several years ago, as opposed to like scrambling at all costs to try and be something that I can't be anymore. I can't be not a mom anymore because this is where I am in this moment in time. And so my hope again is like with the app and with the new recommendations and with continuing to put this information out there is like you said, it puts control back in the hands of that mom. Like here are things that you can do to move you towards that direction, not because I want you to bounce back, but because that bounce back is you just feeling like yourself, whether you look like yourself, whether your body has changed whether you love the perception of where you're at or not, can I at least put your control back in your hands to where you feel like I can do the things that make me feel like me. And for me, that's exercise, running, et cetera, et cetera. And for different people, it's different things. Maybe it's, I want to be able to carry my kid up to bed at night and I don't feel like I have the strength to do that. Or like, I would love to go on a little jog around the greenway and I can't do that because I feel like I leak. Or I've said no to my taking my kid to the trampoline park because I feel like I have symptoms when we go do that. So the bounce back thing is just such this arbitrary cloud that hangs over people, but it's so much bigger than just your physical aesthetics. It's how do you feel? It's not about like, how many calories did you burn today? It's how do you feel When you finish that run, do you feel like Rachel or do you feel like a bad coach pushing you to do something that you shouldn't have been doing in the first place? So it's this very fine line between the two. But like you said, that that bounce back culture kind of hangs over women. And I think that's something that has to change with time, but it changes with things like this and giving them that agency to take that control back for themselves. And although there's all of these perceptions and, and narratives and language around things like the bounce back culture women's pain is something that is actually quite taboo um to talk about and it can lead to a lot of women whether it be things like endometriosis or chronic pain conditions or again sort of you know dealing with postpartum changes in the body it can make women feel quite gaslit um how do you think this can be addressed I think part of it is women, and I don't like that this is where we're at right now, but I do think it is where we are, that women have got to continue to advocate for themselves. I think that I I wish that you didn't have to. I wish that you could just go to your provider or whoever and say, this is what's going on with me and it's not my normal and I don't like the way that it feels and they would just take that seriously. But the bottom line is that doesn't happen. And especially after motherhood, And with pregnancy too, you learn like people are very comfortable commenting on your body and what you look like and what has changed and what hasn't. And for some reason, when you're pregnant and postpartum, that just gets magnified. And along with that comes the magnification of these symptoms. Like I I don't know this body, right? This is my first time having a kid. So like after I had my first, that general advice of like, hey, just listen to your body Again, this is a different body. I've never had this body before. So I don't know how to listen to it because I don't know what's normal. Like, okay, my tailbone's kind of bothering me. But again, if you bring that up, oh, it's normal. You just had a kid. Okay, well, my hip is kind of like lingering pain when I go on a run. Oh, well, you just had a kid, you know, just ease back into it. Well, what does that mean? You know what I mean? And so I think part of fixing that is women being able to say, this doesn't feel good. And I want a better timeline of what to expect because it's very much 
right now, just kind of stuff it down. You've got a lot on your plate. Like again, take care of the baby, which I'm not saying don't take care of the baby, but if you take care of the moms, the moms will take care of the babies. But when we negate the fact that not only do you have a new baby, you have a new mom, you've got some, someone who's doing something they've never done before in a body they've never had before with symptoms they've never experienced. And then we wonder why women have such a hard time navigating that phase, both physically and emotionally. And so I think women in this phase right now, at least are going to have to be okay when a provider basically says, Hey, it's part of being a new mom. And they have to be able to say, it's not like, it's not. And I want better resources. I want a different person to speak to. I would like to seek out public health, physical therapy. I would like to pursue, pursue other options. I am not okay living this way because for so long it has been that, okay, I've got I have patients come in all the time who are 20, 30 years postpartum and they'll start talking about their back pain. And I'll say, when did this start? And they'll say, well, when I had my first, um, you know, in 1982 is the first time that I remember having this back pain and I brought it up and it was, you know, well, you just had a baby and you're just getting back to life. And then now 20, 30 years later, they're still dealing with the same thing. So part of that solution is like women having the confidence to go in there and say, this is not right. I will not accept that as an answer. And I want a different resource. And for so long, I think women haven't had other resources other than just their providers. And what's happening now, and you see this all over the place, is that women are talking to each other, right? Like it is becoming a little less taboo. And so as it becomes less taboo, as you're willing to say like, hey, like, you know, we went back to intimacy for the first time and it didn't feel good. And as you talk about that to a friend and they say, yeah, that was like the same for me. And then I went, you know, and saw a pelvic PT and now that's better. That is how most of my patients find me. It's not from referrals. It's from moms talking to other moms. So that I think is part number two is, okay, let's be willing to talk about it and have that discussion, which is why I think things like this are so important because someone will listen to this and they'll say for the first time, someone mentioned a symptom that I've been dealing with that I have been, again, swept under the rug because it is early postpartum or I've got four kids and that's just part of the price you pay for being a mother. And they'll realize for the first time, wait a second, that's not normal. So being able to have that discussion is incredibly important. So step one is I think women have to advocate and not be afraid to put their foot down and say, I'm not dealing with this. Step two is women have to be willing to talk to other women and bring up these things that have, again, been so taboo for so long. And then step three falls on the providers. So this is where I get to the point now where I start to feel like if you're not well-versed on how to treat women or train women in exercise or for pregnancy and postpartum, you need to have someone in your life who you can refer to, who has that kind of background, because women know now they can exercise during pregnancy. There's no question anymore. No one, well, I won't say no one, because I'll still see this all the time on social media or whatever. We know we need to exercise. We know it's important. We know it's important for mom. We know it's important for baby, but the resources are so lacking. And so the question then becomes, well, how do I exercise? Because it's not necessarily that you can do everything you were doing before. There are things that need to change. You are not a fragile butterfly, but you're also not invincible. There's a there's a range there. And so from a provider perspective, we have got to do a better job at giving women the resources that they need so that we can standardize this process a little bit, as opposed to just saying, oh, listen to your body, do whatever you, you were doing before. That doesn't help women. 
It needs to be a little more standardized than that. Um, with some room to modify based on the person, based on the provider. There needs to be flexibility in that, but there does need to be some kind of standard. Here's what our general recommendations are for exercise, not just 150 minutes a week. Okay, of of what? What does that <laughs> mean? You know what I mean? Even for someone who's not pregnant, it's like, okay, so what's the best? Should I do X? Should I do Z? Um, and so standardizing that from the provider perspective is important. And if you are a provider who doesn't have a good background in that, being willing to say, I don't know a lot about this, but I do know someone who does. Let me connect you with them, as opposed to just leaving women in this weird cloud of ambiguity uh, and training. And so part of it does fall on us as patients and as moms and as runners and as athletes, again, to advocate for ourselves. Part of it falls on us to have the communication with our friends and be willing to talk about things that in the past we may not have discussed because we're embarrassed or um, we just feel like it should be something that is not talked about. And then part of it falls on providers and we've got to do a better job. And so that's what I'm hopeful that these kind of guidelines will start to do is get that conversation out there. Mm, and it's giving women the words to be able to have those conversations and, and name the things and know, as you say, that, that it can't just be put under that nebulous, normal bracket um, and to have those conversations amongst themselves. And then also on, on the side of the providers, it, it sounds like an element of humility as well and saying, I don't know this, but I know someone who does. And also identifying those gaps in, in research. I mean, I, I'm more familiar with the fact that you know, in, in the kind of, in the running arena, you know, most of the studies are done on men and then those (laughs) recommendations on everything from fueling to training are are then put on women. And, you know, women are not small men. (laughs) You you can't go through these, these, you know, generic training plans that were built on on a, on a man's body. And it's recognizing that and having, as I say, the sort of humility to to identify the gaps that have been there and do something about it and not just sweep under the carpet, really. <laughs> Absolutely. There's actually, I think Australia now has in their recommendations that, so it's 150 minutes of exercise a week, moderate activity, or 75 minutes of vigorous activity, which is what we tell people who are not pregnant and postpartum. And so what they have put out there is like, hey, pregnant and postpartum women, if they're used to vigorous activity, if you're used to doing interval training or sprinting or things like that, they have actually, as of recently, started to say that that's okay for pregnant women. And so like when we put our recommendations out in October, um, that was not a thing. The U.S., I think, is a little bit behind on all of this. And so for the U.S. right now, the recommendation is still the 150 minutes of moderate activity. It does not discuss vigorous activity. So like you said, those gaps in the research, that is a gap. There is a gap there. So when we put our recommendations out in October, we stuck with the 150 minutes of moderate per week because we don't have the research yet that says the 75 minutes of vigorous is okay. That said, there was a study, I think it was last week that was just released about interval training and about how moms and babies were largely perfectly fine when the moms were doing vigorous activity. I don't remember all the stats. Like I said, it's a very, very new one that just got released like last week. But the more research comes out, the more that we can change those recommendations. And so where I stand again as a provider is just like you said, is you have to have that aspect of humility and say, listen, you know, if I've got someone who comes in and they want to do vigorous activity, being able to say like, listen, this is the advice. This is where the recommendations are right now. Yes, the U.S. says 150 minutes per week, but Australia says 75 minutes of vigorous is fine. 
this study came out last week that says that 75 minute or uh, interval training is fine. So that individual person and me being able to educate them on like, here's all these pieces. I do not have all the answers, but I can take everything that we have right now and try to make something that's very tailored for you. And then you can decide what works well for you. So everyone has their own kind of like risk category that they're willing to work within. Same thing with like eating um, queso or like eating sushi or like you'll see moms that have two cups of coffee a day and you see moms who say, I'm not having any caffeine. Um, And so everyone has their kind of like ceiling that they're willing to go to. But I think that you can make a better decision in regards to what your ceiling is when you understand what is available but as a provider being also able to say, this is what's not available. And then you can say, okay, well, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad that I do vigorous activity. It's just that there's not a lot of research on it. Um, And so I'm used to vigorous activity. I feel good with it. It makes me feel better. I probably am going to pursue vigorous activity. And then there's going to be people who are a little more like risk averse and say like, okay, well, until there's more research, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I'll stick to the 150 minutes of moderate activity. And that is perfectly fine but they can't make that decision when they're not educated on it. And the providers can't give that information when they're not educated on it. So it comes from both ends of the spectrum. And like you said, until more research is out there, we are going to have to just continue doing the best we can. But I say all the time, the research that we put out in October, I hope it changes. I want it to change. I want people to look at it and pick it apart. And like in 10 years, I want it to be different than what it is in October, because I hope that in 10 years, we have completely different sets of standards and completely different sets of studies that are done on women. Like that just seems intuitive, right? Like this is the population we're trying to guide. So I hope in 10 years it's different. And again, as a provider, we should all hope for that same thing, that our recommendations change because we know better as time goes on. Yeah. And it's about having it on the table to debate in in the first place and recognizing that women have the ability and the right to choose, which is, you know, another topic as well. But (laughs) yes. And I'm interested that you have talked about different recommendations and things. And would you be able to take me on that journey of a female athlete in terms of the changes that are happening and then the considerations that she needs to have from that moment when she first becomes pregnant to birth? Yeah, absolutely. So this is like super practical information that I think that people can use pretty much immediately. So I hope that one day it is standard. I'll preface it with this. I hope that it is standard at some point in time that when you go and you confirm, yes, I am pregnant, there is an automatic referral to a physical therapist. That just makes sense. Your body's going to go through a lot. Um, So I here will see if I have patients who are interested in physical therapy care. I try to see them once per trimester if everything's going fabulous, just because stuff changes by trimester. Um, there's different postural changes, et cetera. And so if they feel really good and they want to stay active, I try to check in with them once per trimester just to update them on things they can be working on to set themselves up for success. Postpartum, my hope is that you get seen anywhere from like at least like six visits would be kind of my minimum. So let me come to you at two weeks postpartum. I'll come to your house. Let me work with you a little bit. You don't have to lug baby out in the carrier. Like, let me come to you and let's work together on things that we can start with. And then let me come see you about every two weeks until we get to that 12 week point, which is the end of what we call fourth trimester. So the end of that, like, okay, my, you know, hormones might be a little more regulated than they were a couple of weeks ago. 
from an anatomical physiological standpoint, things are starting to heal a little bit. So that would be my hope. So I always preface this discussion with that is I highly, highly recommend one visit per trimester before baby gets here and then postpartum every two weeks until you feel like you're ready to be done and ready to kind of move into more of the performance aspect of things. So I'll preface it with that. Now, trimester by trimester in pregnancy, first trimester, I always tell patients that that is kind of like hit or miss. You have some patients who feel fabulous in first trimester and you have some who just cannot get out of bed. I was one of those that it was a Herculean task to like take a shower, get to the bathroom. I would like dry heave off my front porch before I went to work in the morning. Like it just was, I was miserable. I'm going to be honest. And I'm someone who typically exercises six days a week, very regularly. I adore it. I could not for the life of me exercise in first trimester. So it is okay if first trimester, all you do as weird as that sounds is build a human. That is fine. That's a lot. You know what I mean? There's a lot going on in your body. So first trimester is always that kind of talk of let's talk about grace, like give yourself some grace and understand again that everything is a season and you're not going to lose all of your fitness in a couple of weeks of just rest and building this baby. And so I always have the discussion and it's always harder with honestly, my runners, because we have that athlete brain of like, I can't take a couple of weeks off. I'll lose all that fitness that I've been working so hard to gain. So we try to work within what you can do. So if you feel okay, but not up to running, maybe we bike like a stationary bike, or maybe we get in the pool and kind of walk around in the pool, get some cardio that way, or even just getting out of the house and going on a walk. But I'm always very clear that first trimester, if you don't feel good, you do not have to exercise, do the best you can, because it's going to be up and down. Some days are great. Some days are not. But if you can't, you have got to stop beating yourself up for that. So first trimester is very hit or miss. There's not a ton of modifications in first trimester other than working around your symptoms. Um, A lot of people don't even realize they're pregnant until like towards the end of first trimester. Um, And so especially if they don't have symptoms and they don't feel sick. So there's not a ton to modify. Like you can largely do if you feel good, all the things that you've enjoyed doing. You can kind of continue that. Um, just again, one of those, like check in with yourself and be realistic about where you're at and what you're feeling. And is a rest day more productive than going on a run that is forced and not something that you actually just want to do out of, again, the joy of running. So, um, that's kind of first trimester recommendations. I always also have the talk of that RPE scale. So that rate of perceived exertion or rate of perceived effort. So we grade that from generally like a scale from like one to 10, where 10 would be maximal effort. It is not necessarily like linear. Um, So I always like will sit down with patients and look at that scale and people can look that up too and see different levels of effort. And so like I'll say maybe we do short bursts of activity in that five to seven, like that kind of moderate to hard zone. You spend less than 10 minutes there and then you come back down to a three or four. You recover for a little bit, back up to a five or seven, kind of on that scale. I really don't recommend tons of time at 10, but I don't know that I recommend tons of time at 10 for my patients, clients who are not pregnant either, right? 10 is a very short, like, I mean, 20 to 30 seconds. So I'm not saying that you can't spend any time there. It's just not what I'm going to focus on if we have like limited tolerance to activity. So I'm going to tell you to spend, you know, in your time, if you feel good, spend it in that moderate to like heavy kind of zone but make sure you get lots of recovery in there. Be mindful about your water intake, be mindful about how you're feeling, all of those things in first trimester. 
second trimester, I usually have people focus very heavily on core. So this is another thing that I think is hugely missed. And for me, with my first pregnancy, I was told to avoid it um, because I didn't want to worsen the potential ab separation. So core is incredibly important. That's where everything stems from, right? If you've got a weak core, everything else starts to kind of like fall apart. And your core during pregnancy is taking a beating, let's be honest. So your core involves your deep core muscles on the front of your abdomen and the deep pelvic floor muscles. Um, And so learning to train those is critical for continuing to maintain the activity that you love and enjoy. And so when I get patients in for second trimester, we do an entire visit focused on, do you actually know what it means to activate your core? Do you know what it means to use your deep core? Do you know what it means to turn your pelvic floor on? Do you know what it means to turn your pelvic floor off? So that's kind of my heavy, heavy focus in trimester two is because again, these muscles are gonna continue to stretch, which is normal and okay. Um, but can we use them to the best of our advantage so that we set ourselves up for a success? I will have them modify bar path a little bit if they're doing things like snatches or quick, powerful movements with a barbell because your body changes on such a frequent basis. I mean, sometimes you wake up and you're like, this body is different than the body that I had yesterday. So that kind of intuition of knowing your bar path and that underlying neuromuscular control that we all have is incredibly important because your body's going to tend to do things the way it did things before you were pregnant, right? And so I'm going to tend to, if I've been practicing this bar path for four years, even though now my belly's in the way, my body's going to think that my body still looks and feels the way that it did before. And so it's to me, one of those where it's not, I have to modify, but if we could do things like use a dumbbell instead, like dumbbells on each side, where we're not yanking the bar over the path of the belly, then let's do that. Now, if you're dealing with someone like Tiatumi, who's like a, you know, just one of the best CrossFitters in the world, and this is her livelihood, am I going to work with a bar over the belly? Yeah, I am. So again, that's where that like individual aspect comes in. But for the general athlete who's just trying to stay active and healthy, if you've got a safer option that does the same thing, let's pursue that. So second trimester, I always tell people is a really great place if you're feeling good to get strong, because this is where Your body is changing, absolutely, but it's not to the point of third trimester. And generally, you tend to have a little more energy than you did in the first. So let's really hone in here. We can get super strong. We can lift heavy weights. We can do all of these things to build control and strength and set you up for success for third trimester. Third trimester, my heavy, heavy focus is what we call down training. So relaxing the muscles. And again, this is where I think runners miss the mark a lot because of just the way that our brains work. Um, in pregnancy, your pelvic floor muscles are working in overdrive all the time to support your baby, to support the uterus that's growing. They're working really hard to lift and close. And so a lot of times what happens is they learn how to contract. They learn how to kegel. They do not ever learn how to let go. And so what happens when our muscles relax, that's how things get out. So if we're going to the restroom and we need to empty or labor delivery day and baby needs to get out, if I don't know how to relax my muscles to get them out of the way, baby's going to have a harder time getting out. Okay. And baby is going to find a way to get out. And so a lot of times that results in things like potential muscle tearing um, because the muscles are being stubborn and they want to stay closed because that is all they have learned in that runner's life. So that same way that we, you know, most of us do a terrible job stretching our calves. We do a terrible job stretching our hamstrings. We're all super tight overactive muscles. 
the pelvic floor does the same thing. And so a lot of times during third trimester, my main focus is, can we get the muscles to relax? Can we teach them how to let go so that when you go into labor and delivery, you know how to do that so that you are able to birth the baby in a way that sets you up again for the least likelihood of tearing. I'm not going to tell you that I can promise you tearing won't happen. I'm not going to make any guarantees about how any of this goes because I can't do that. But you can go into it knowing I've done everything possible to decrease the likelihood of this happening. So lots of education on down training, how to relax the muscles, how to keep them strong while also teaching them the coordination to let go. Um, and then also with those labor delivery visits, we'll just talk about different positions like sideline versus laying on your back. Or if you're not going to do an epidural, can you birth in a deep squat or hands and knees position? What can we do again to minimize your likelihood of tearing? So that's kind of through pregnancy what I recommend. Um, you can still do hard efforts during third trimester. I'm not going to take that away from my clients who enjoy doing that. Again, it's we need to monitor 24, 48 hours after. What do your symptoms feel like? Do you have a lot of heaviness and pressure down there? Did you notice that you had more leaking? Did you notice any pain in your hips? What did you notice after that run? But if you feel good, I'm not against it. Like you can totally continue that. And it might change week to week. So it might be something you have to kind of reassess. But this is where, again, I think that each individual person has to make a decision like, okay, is that worth it to me? Is going on that hard run and then coming back and feeling that heaviness and pressure for three days, is that worth it? And am I setting myself up for success in postpartum? Like if I'm putting my muscles under that much stress, is that going to serve me in terms of getting back postpartum? Or am I putting my muscles under stress that they don't need that's going to take longer to recover from? You have to think long game. Like this is a long game. I say all the time that pregnancy and postpartum is sprinting a marathon. Like it is, it is not a 5k. It is not, it is a whole ordeal. And so you've got to approach it that way as well. So third trimester, that tempo run, is that really serving me? Or is it just something that I'm doing because I feel like I have to, to maintain that fitness? Can I do it in other ways? So from a medical perspective, I can still run, I can still jump, um, assuming that, you know, pregnancy is going normal and I've been cleared by my, my doctor to do those things. I can still do all of them, but from a musculoskeletal perspective, what am I doing? Am I setting myself up for success or am I making my recovery harder by dropping these workouts in when there's other things that I could do to serve myself better. So that's pregnancy. Postpartum, I kind of look at it every two weeks. So the first two weeks, I tell patients, okay, one, obviously, please rest, recover, um, but focus on your breath work, like focus on reconnecting to the belly, to the core, to the pelvic floor, slowly inhale, slowly exhale, just gentle mobility, cat cow, child's pose, some like kind of knees rocking side to side, just don't lose your mobility. You get stiff. You suddenly have a different body than you had a couple of days ago. And so just focusing on recovery, but knowing that there's things you can do other than just lay on the couch. And again, that's not me saying that I think moms are being lazy by any means. But again, if you look at it like any other musculoskeletal injury, we don't tell people to just rest for six weeks. You know, you have an ACL repair and you go immediately to physical therapy. There's there's a bridge there. If I told you to rest for six weeks and you came in at six weeks, you'd be so stiff. The muscles would not be firing. You would have lost a ton of strength. So there are things you can do in this six-week period that are really beneficial. So zero to two weeks, reconnect to that breath. Just keep your mobility. Bond with baby. Try to work on those things posturally. Make sure that you're doing the best that you can. 
Then around two to four weeks, I tie in pelvic floor and again, deep core. So can I start to truly activate my deep core? Can I reconnect what that feels like? Can I do a Kegel? Can I do a gentle reverse Kegel? Can I stretch my hips? Then around four weeks, I start to do what we call open kinematic chain exercises. So like laying on a mat or laying on the couch, um, doing things like a bridge where you lift the hips up or clamshells where you open the knee up and down, slowly start to wake the hips up a little bit. Week six, if you've done all of that and all of that's great, then at week six is where I start to say like, this is the quote unquote fun stuff. Like, okay, let's do some squats. Let's do a little bit of lunges. But the biggest problem I see is that week six, people think it's time to run. We have not done enough at six weeks. You cannot squeeze into six weeks. I do not care how elite of an athlete you are. You cannot combat 10 months of postural changes in six weeks of recovery. The first six weeks have got to be, you need to build the foundation of your house. And then after six weeks, then we work on strength. Then we work on impact. Then we work on running. There is a process that we follow for every other joint in the body. But for some reason, postpartum, we don't. So six weeks is where if you've done the foundational work for the first six weeks, then you can get back to what you probably feel like is more quote unquote normal exercise, like some banded walks, some squats, some lunges, some calf raises, all of those types of things. Week eight to 10, depending on how labor delivery went, is where I'll start to say, let's work on a little bit of speed. Like, can I do a quick sit to stand? Do I have any symptoms with that? Can I do a lunge with a little bit of speed built in? What can I do to make my body move more quickly and assess those symptoms? And then at, if you feel great at 12 weeks is where I say, okay, now we start to play around with running. Okay. So at 12 weeks, you don't just say go on a run. There is a return to running graded program. So all this is in that paper that we put out in October. It's also in the app as well. But I don't have you start running typically until about 12 weeks postpartum. And then at 12 weeks postpartum, it is not go run however you want to run. There is a time frame. There's ways to go about it that, again, lets you continue to heal. And then you've got three months, basically, of a running plan. If you feel great at six months, then I say, okay, go run however you want to run. So you're looking at like a six-month recovery process, which I know for runners, they hear that and they're like, I just won't go because I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I would rather just go on my run at six weeks and, you know, ignorance is bliss, but it does not set you up for long-term success. And then that's my runners who come in at eight, nine, 10 months postpartum and say, I'm still leaking while I'm running. I still have heaviness and pressure when I get back. I've still got some nagging hip pain that just will not go away. And it's because we didn't take the time to build that firm foundation. And now we're building one of my favorite kind of sayings from Jay Dishri. He's a <clears throat> continuing ed researcher um, for running, but he talks about shooting a cannon from a canoe versus a cannon from flat ground. And so I've got a lot of moms who are getting back to running and not following any of these guidelines and shooting this cannon from a canoe. And you can imagine when you do that, that instability is wild. And so they don't have the foundation they need. And over time, the more steps you take, the more miles you add, that adds up. So my runners that take the time to recover, respect the recovery process, they end up at, let's say, a year postpartum being significantly better than my runners who say, I'm not following any of that. I'm going to go ahead and get back to it. So in their head, they're getting back faster. But at a year postpartum, that's not the case. Sorry, that's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot there. <laughs> It's interesting because like a lot of that is obviously practical advice, but it's very much about, it's not about getting rid of goals. It's about uh, adjusting those goals. And that's tied so much as well to 
the emotional journey that that women go through and their relationships to to themselves as, as athletes and I guess on kind of a micro scale you get that through cycles of injury and things where you have to kind of start to interrogate your why am I doing this is it is it for the long run not to <laughs> excuse the pun um or is it for you know that that momentary feeling of um of an endorphin rush or something and do you see that when you, from your own experience and kind of observing it in others, what's that sort of brain dialogue like? And what advice would you give to someone who is going through those conflicting emotions and questioning their identity, which is ultimately the underpinning as to whether they're going to follow this program or not, I guess? <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a um, that's a heavy question because that's one that I wish that, again, I had gone back and been able to reflect on myself, especially with my first Um I know when I look back with my first and I went on a run again, I didn't do this at the time, but I went on a run at three weeks postpartum um, because it was very much just if you feel good and I was starting to feel better. And so to me, a run sounded great. Uh, And so I went on a run. And like you said, I think the motives of that run were completely wrong. The motives of that run were not, hey, this is for me. This is just for my mental health. This is for it was I want to prove to myself that I can do this. I want to prove to myself that I'm a real athlete. And if everyone can just see me on a run at three weeks postpartum, then we'll all realize like, man, she's an athlete, right? She really got back to it. But if you reframe that mindset and you look at the athletes who actually make it in their sport long-term, they are the athletes who respect the recovery process. And so this whole thing now, when I look back at it, I wish that I had just understood the long game. So like I said, I look at my recovery with my second and at a year postpartum, I felt really good. But my a year postpartum with my first, I still had not felt like I had a workout that felt normal at that point. Which one did I go back to activity faster with? My first. I went back faster with my first, but I felt not right for much longer because I didn't respect my body and the way that it was healing and what it had just been through. And it was all about proving a point to everyone else and also to myself of this is who I am and this is what I do. And I do, you know, recover faster than everyone else, which we know is just BS. But again, reframing that whole mindset of like, if I am truly an athlete, good athletes approach recovery differently, right? The recovery is important to them. They take the time to do the mobility work. They take the time to set that aside. They don't try to rush it back. They listen to their providers when their providers say, hey, it might not be a good idea for you to play tonight. The athletes that do things the right way and make it a long time in their sport take the time to build the foundation of that house so they're not shooting that cannon from a canoe. And so I think looking back, I think, man, I was... And it's not like I'm an elite athlete now. I'm not out there like running for Olympic trials or anything. But I look back and I think my mindset at that time was that of an immature athlete. It really was. It was, I have something to prove and I need to do it as quickly as possible because that will make a difference. And the bottom line is at a year postpartum, it did not. I set myself significantly further back because I did not take the time to respect that process. And so I think taking that, like you said, that athlete brain and just shifting it. Now, I also feel like I have a healthier relationship with exercise. I think I still, I struggle with it like all of us do, right? Like my husband says all the time, like, what are we going to do if you get hurt? Because like, I love 
I love exercising. I love being out on a run. And the thought of not being able to do that is, is scary. It's terrifying because I just enjoy it so much, but I do have a healthy relationship now because I look at what my body has been through and how much I've been able to change my relationship with running and exercise and longevity approach. I don't exercise as much for the aesthetics anymore. I exercise because I want to be able to carry my kids. I exercise because I want to be, you know, when they're 15, I still want to be able to pick them up and carry them up the stairs if I need to. I want to be able to chase them around on the baseball field. I want to like show them up in soccer every now and then. Like those goals have totally shifted for me. And when I look back at that version of myself five or six years ago, the bottom line is it was just an immature approach. And so I think with the people who are struggling with that, when you can kind of wrap your mind around getting back as quickly as possible is something that people who are immature in their athleticism will do. And then you start to say, okay, am I someone who is a good athlete and can listen to my body the right way with the right guidance? Then it starts to become a totally different ball game, right? So shifting the mindset of like getting back as quickly as possible as, as you know, you know, even if it means being a little bit dangerous in this recovery and being able to say like, Hey, that's going to look different for me at 18 months postpartum. Or I see that person down the road who just went on a run and I know she just had a baby and she shouldn't be doing that. And that makes me want to do it because I want to be, everything's a competition, right? I want to be better than her (laughs) and she looks better than I do. And she, everything's comparative. And that's how our, our world is nowadays. When you can say, step back and say, okay, but that is not my journey. I am a mature athlete. I do understand the process of longevity and that's what I'm in it for. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm not in it for, can I run for the next two weeks? I'm in this for, I want to run for as long as I possibly can. And if I rush this, I'm going to basically sabotage that whole process. So that mindset shift has to happen. And I think that pregnancy and postpartum puts you in a perfect place to do that. It's just a matter of hearing someone say that sometimes and be like, okay, like, again, we wouldn't praise someone who was three weeks after their ACL repair, who was out on a run. We'd be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing that to yourself? Like you are not helping your future self. You're not investing in the future of your athleticism. And with motherhood, it's the opposite. We see people doing things so early and we say like, man, like you have really bounced back. You've really recovered. But again, I don't care how elite of an athlete you are. You cannot speed the healing process. You just can't. You've got to listen to it. You've got to respect it. And when you shift it to, am I a mature athlete or am I an immature athlete? And what's my long-term goal? Is it again, impress everybody here? Or is it, I want to be an athlete for a long time. And that kind of helped me rationalize what I was doing in that moment. Mm, It's sort of reframing it as an opportunity in a way, isn't it? We don't often get those moments where we can really interrogate our whys and that is a big moment to do so even though it's it's a real struggle as well and thank you so much for for sharing that vulnerability as well in your in your own journey with those questions um because it's also so much of this is striking me as things that other people in different demographics whatever they're struggling with whether it be people who are having to train in different ways because of chronic illness and things as well um can take so much from this conversation um not just those who are pregnant or postpartum and in terms of your own journey as well I'm just interested to kind of flip to to the app and stirrups to sit-ups and what conversations then did that arise from and how has it been being an entrepreneur 
um, in a competitive space as well. <laughs> yeah. So the <clears throat> the app came from what happened really was the the research that we were doing and us trying to put this into a protocol like that is a super long process and has to go through peer review, which is like where all kinds of providers of different types are looking at this and nitpicking it apart and sending it back to you with all these red marks and you re, you know you change some things and some things you say I'm not willing to change that I like it how it is I put it that way for a reason and sending it back and hoping that they understand and so that was like <clears throat> over a year I think that we went back and forth trying to make this something that was actually publishable uh, and so that process in itself was so complex and so when the research got out there in October we were super proud of that, of course, like we had just invested so much in it. But what I also realized was if I take a step back and look at this research paper as a mom and as if I were to say, like, step out of physical therapy world, I'm just a mom who's looking for guidance and I, I'm trying to find out what's best. And I open this paper. Sure, it's helpful, but it's it's very medical. You know what I mean? It's very it's a lot of medical jargon. It's a lot of like nitty gritty details that I probably don't need as a general population person trying to just figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I would joke about like, I wish that there was some way that I could take everything we had in this paper and just give it to moms in a format that was more digestible and was just something that was like, just tell me what to do, because I'm not trying to be a specialist. I'm not trying to be a physical therapist. I'm not trying to, you know, specialize in pelvic health. I've got other things going on. Again, my plate is full. Can you just take one thing off my plate and just tell me what to do for 20 minutes? And so that's kind of how the app came about was like, well, what if we took everything we put in this paper and just turned it into something that actually was functional for moms, right? Like, okay, I can just open this app and for 20 minutes a day, it tells me how to move exercises I can do that are safe. And if I were to do an exercise and realize, hey, this didn't feel very good, then that's my sign of maybe I need to get in and get some individualized care. So that's how the app came about was just, I don't feel like the paper in itself is necessarily digestible for just general public. Not that I don't feel like it has a purpose and that's important. But I think that it was just something that, again, as a new mom, there's enough online. I don't need to dig more. I don't need to try and interpret what you meant by this versus that. So it just took it and made it something that was a little more straightforward and more simple. So again, from a very selfish perspective, what would I have wanted as a new mom if I was not a public or physical therapist? It would have been at the time, which six years ago, this didn't exist, an app on my phone and I open it and I say, I'm four days postpartum. What should I do today? Boom, here, 20 minutes while the baby's laying down or while they're doing tummy time and you're right next to them, here's some things you can do. So that again, from that athlete brain perspective, I at least feel like I'm working in the right direction. Because that was another problem that I had um, was that in those zero to six weeks, there's absolutely nothing. There's no guidance. It wasn't stretch. It wasn't mobilize. It wasn't go on a walk. It wasn't anything. It was just rest for six weeks. And so again, that starts to chip away at your brain where you're kind of like, I'm not doing anything that's serving me. I'm just kind of like sitting around and I'm trying to recover and I'm trying to heal, but I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel good physically. I don't feel good mentally. And I don't feel like I'm doing anything to move myself forward. So the app also came from just here is something you can do that I'm telling you is safe. And it helps you know that you're setting yourself up for success so that when you go in for that six week appointment, now you're ready to actually move into some of the strength movements. So that's kind of where it came from. From an entrepreneur perspective, the ideas, the exercises, all of that was was there. That's what I do on a regular basis. Like that's my bread and butter. That's what I love. Trying to turn it into something that was, uh, from an IT perspective, 
I don't know anything about that. <laughs> like I joke that we, I don't even turn on our TV. Like my five-year-old <laughs> knows how to turn on our TV better than I do. Like I technology wise am just so not, my brain does not work that way. And so thankfully we had Steven who um, is a partial owner of the app as well. And he knew a little bit more about that kind of stuff. And so he found this platform that we could use and he did all the filming of all the videos and things like that. And so he kind of filled the gaps for, for us on that. So I'll always be grateful that he did that. But even now when people email and they ask questions and they're kind of like, Hey, can I skip forward to this day? Or I clicked on this button and I didn't feel like I needed to go backwards that far or whatever. They ask IT questions. I will always email anytime they email startups to sit up. It's usually me. It's like directly to me. Um, and I'll email back and I'll say, listen, I, again, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to figure out somebody who does. Um, so from the entrepreneur side of things, that IT aspect was something totally new for me and still is on a daily basis. Um, I think I actually had somebody a couple of weeks ago who tried to download from the UK and they're asking about their phone number was not the same format. That's what was on there and they couldn't. And I was like, I don't know the answer to that, but I will figure it out. So that has been a totally new world for me because that's just not my specialty at all. It was just that came from trying to make the paper into something that was real, digestible, easy to follow. And so that's something that I'm still navigating because the app only launched in, I think it was like end of January. And so it's still very, very new. We're still figuring it out. My hope is that one day it's all like completely developed and aesthetically pleasing and all this beautiful stuff. I tell people all the time right now, like the information's there. That's all I can give you right now. <laughs> like it's not the prettiest app in the world. It's not, you know, something where like, I feel like it's exactly how I would like it to look, but the information is there and you know that it's quality and you have access directly to us if you have questions about it. So that is kind of where I'm at right now in terms of like, this is what I can promise you is that this is good information. It is the information I give my patients when they come into the gym. It just gives you an opportunity to have that on your phone at home. Um, and so that entrepreneur side of things has been very interesting um, and will probably continue to be very interesting, but it's something that I'm willing to kind of like, again, dabble in and like figure out and learn as I go. And then in five years, I'm sure it'll be like, oh, yeah, this is second nature. I know how to do this. and I know how to do that. And my hope long term is we have all kinds of plans in there. So right now there's just a postpartum plan. But I would love to have like a prenatal plan. Like here's first trimester. Here's second trimester. Here's third. Here's like, OK, I'm postpartum. I'm 12 weeks and I want to do a 10K. Like here's a running plan built for that. So I hope that eventually it has that. But right now it is the basics of postpartum. But that to me was the most critical information because that was what so many people are lacking, especially those first six weeks. So that's been really interesting. But I hope that I get to continue to kind of learn more about it. Um, I, for a long time, I think was scared to get into that because it just seemed like, again, this whole new world of things that I didn't understand. But that's probably how I think most good ideas tend to start, right? So um, it's just been a journey and will continue to be, but I'm happy to be on it. So, And actually also, you know, that's the human touch and the foundations of, of trust that you've emphasized really. And that's what women need when, when they're at their most vulnerable and, and don't know what to do and don't have anywhere to look for that information. And as we've said, you know, going on that emotional as well as, physical journey so I think by the sounds of it you've definitely got it the right way around I, <laughs> I just I love transparency I hope that that's something that I can always give people is like I will be transparent with you I will tell you when I don't know something I will, but I will also be right there with you trying to figure it out and I think that's what we miss a lot of times in healthcare world is saying like 
I don't know a whole lot about what you got going on and then just leaving it at that. And that is not what moms need. So even when someone comes into the clinic, if they bring up a symptom and I'm like, that doesn't sound like something that I treat, or that doesn't sound like something that's my specialty, being able to say, you know what, but let me figure out where you should go next. Because a lot of times we just leave it at that. And that's where women get left behind is because they say, well, I brought it up to my primary care that I was leaking every time I sneezed. And they kind of just said, oh, that's weird. Like, I don't treat that. And then that was it. And then now 20 years later, I still have that leaking. And so again, as providers, I think we have to put that responsibility on ourselves to say, like, if I don't know something, I'm willing to help you and I'm willing to figure out where it is. And I'm I'm not saying I'll be the one to fix you, but I'm happy to connect you with someone who can. Um, And I hope that that transparency is something that we can carry into the app as well. The good news is now that there are more apps that are out there that are able to do these things. And I always tell people, like, our app is not the only app. It was something that when we started making it, there really wasn't a whole lot of apps out there. Now there are more. I'm not going to say there's a lot, but there are more. And so I always just encourage people to find the right fit. Again, from a transparency perspective, I'm not a salesman. I'm not trying to like push the app on you. I'm not trying to force you to download it. I'm not trying to make, you know, millions of dollars on this. It was something that I think people needed and wanted to know that it was coming from someone that they could trust. Because again, the days of social media, you can look very trustworthy online and then realize like, this product is not legit or this person who's posting their postpartum workouts just because she looks fit doesn't mean that it's good advice. Having a baby does not give you the right to start training women postpartum because it's just because you responded that way doesn't mean that someone else will. And so um, I am always, again, very transparent that like, yes, there are other apps out there. Some of them are developed by physical therapists. Some are developed by personal trainers. Some of those people have training with pregnancy and postpartum, and some of them don't. And so you need to dig into where did this person come from? What's their background? What's their education? Some of them are, you know, you pay upfront for the whole plan. Ours, like you pay monthly. So like maybe that affects which type of plan you want. Um, so again, I'm, I would never try to force that on someone. I want them to understand all their options and pick what works best for them. Um, so now with the, you know, quote unquote competition out there, we really don't view it as competition. We view it as camaraderie and as more support. And again, looking back again, just six years ago, that wasn't a thing at all. And so I love that there's actually multiple apps that people can choose from now. Uh, I just always encourage people to really do their research because just because it's a pre or postnatal program doesn't mean you're being trained by someone who has any actual background in that area. And actually, you know, you've given so much incredible advice over the course of this conversation, but also one of the biggest takeaways that that I've got is this idea of, of advocacy for yourself and not being afraid to one, have conversations, but also interrogate and ask questions. Um, and, and having the confidence to do that is, is absolutely vital in the progress that's going, going to be made both for people personally and, and more broadly as well as a society. And just to, before we wrap up, just a signpost to where people can get hold of this incredible information. Um, is that via your website? There, there's obviously social media as well. And then where can they download the app from? I assume it's available in, in all countries at the moment. Or- yes, as far as I know. Like I said, technology is not my favorite thing. So if there's ever any questions, they can always send an email stirrups to sit ups at gmail.com or if you just go to stirrups to sit ups.com 
Um, if there's a little, like you can enter your email address, when you enter your email address, it comes directly to me. Um, so when I get that, usually what I'll do is I know that that's someone who's interested in the app. And so I'll send you this nice long email of like, Hey, here's how you download it. Here's what to do. So that's usually the easiest way to go about it. We do have Instagram as well. So you can always like send a message on Instagram and say, Hey, I have a question. I'd like to download it. Um, the thing with Instagram is I always tell people like, if you're someone who we don't follow you back already, when you send those messages, it goes to requests. So I tell people to email us because there's not like a request because sometimes I just forget to check the requests. And then I realize, oh my gosh, like this person messaged me four weeks ago asking a question and I feel terrible. So email is always the easiest way to go. I think you can download the app directly on your own. It's not, we don't have a whole strip of setups app. What it is, it's called Fitter, F-I-T-R. So there's a client version. So you download Fitter Client and then you search for the Stirrups to Sit Ups program within that app. So that was part of our IT navigation is like, okay, I don't feel comfortable yet building our own app from scratch and trying all of that. So there's this really cool platform called Fitter, F-I-T-R, and they basically host programs. So they'll say like, okay, the Stirrups to Sit Ups program is within our app. So you can download it that way as well. Um, but if that gets confusing, anytime you just send us an email again, usually it comes directly to me. So I'm the one who's answering the emails. So you can always just send an email and be like, hey, I couldn't find it. Or like, I have a question or, you know, I didn't hear back from you on Instagram. That's my fault because I didn't check the request. I try to remember to do that. I wish that Instagram would change that. <laughs> but um, some again, tech technology is not my thing. And I'm out there chasing kids like probably most of your listeners are. And so um, the email is always the easiest way to get to me or go directly through the website. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Rachel. And I hope uh, everyone has taken as much from this wonderful conversation as I have. Thank you for the generosity of your wisdom, knowledge, um, and your time as well. And I've come to my last question, which is the one that I ask all of my guests, which is the joy question. What does joy mean to you, Rachel? Man, um, I feel like that might have changed since I've had kids. I think joy for me now is seeing that on my kids' face when they do things and that just pure and honest excitement about life. I think we lose that sometimes as adults. And so um, I think it was two weeks ago, my five-year-old ran his first race and it was a little 1K and he ran it holding my husband's hand the whole time. He would not let go of it. They like ran the whole little 1k holding hands came all the way around and he for the rest of the day was just that internal like light you know when you look at someone and you're like that person is joy like they are they just manifested that's what he did for the rest of the day he was so proud of himself and so i feel like we lose that as adults and i want moms to feel that again like i'm proud of myself i'm proud of what i just did um and i hope i can connect them with that but i i don't think of joy as something that is like again this ambiguous term i i think of it as this noun like i can look at you and you are joy and i see that in my kids and i hope that as an adult we can start to embrace that a little bit a little bit more fingers crossed i'm so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast and if you've enjoyed today's episode, I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.